and welcome back to Eden's Apple Podcast. This is Valerie, or the Cactus Fairy, and I am joined by... Kim, or the Tumbleweed Witch. Today we're going to talk about the Witch of Endor, and I did want to ask you what you've heard about her, or if you have any previous knowledge of this story. I actually have not. The Witch of Endor is relatively new to me. She's a really interesting figure. I'm going to go ahead and go through the backstory, and this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. Samuel is a prophet of Israel, and he dies at the beginning of our story. He's dead. Goodbye. And Saul is king of Israel at this time. And he's got like this big fight with the Philistines coming up and he's having all of these prophets and spiritualists and people try to tell him the fate of this battle. And he's not getting any information about it. And he's like, damn, I wish Samuel were still alive. He would tell me what's up. So the thing about Saul is he was very anti-witchcraft and he had actually driven out all of the practitioners of witchcraft from Israel and exiled them or killed them. But he's so freaked out by this that he decides he's going to go find a witch to contact Samuel's spirit from beyond the grave to get him information about what he's supposed to do for this battle. Um, That's wild. A witch. Yeah, he straight up contacts a witch. He disguises himself to do it. He disguises himself and he goes and he finds this lady. It's referred to as a woman possessor of like a ritual pit, a talisman, or a familiar spirit. She claims she can see the dead rising. So he goes to contact her. He's in disguise. And then the spirit of Samuel actually fucking shows up. Where's your God now? We're going to get into it. But yeah, there's like a lot of theological disagreement over that. But when Samuel shows up, the witch is like, you're King Saul. You're King Saul. And you came here to talk to Samuel. What are you going to, are you going to kill me? Are you going to exile me? Why, why did you do this? And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I just need this information. So there's a lot of retconning in the Christian world where they say that she was a fraud and the reason she was so shocked was because the spirit of Samuel actually showed up, which would mean that God allowed it to happen and she didn't actually have that power. But that's straight up bullshit. Why would he need to use like her as a vessel for storytelling? Like if God just wanted it to happen, why wouldn't he just make it happen? So like the Luther Bible and the Spanish Bible specifically, it's straight up she is like, I know you're King Saul. Why did you come here? Are you trying to kill me? So then Samuel is like, bro, you're fucked. You're done. You're going to die. And then that's kind of that for her. Saul does die. He goes to battle and they lose. There are different versions of the story. And Saul either kills himself in his defeat or he asks a young Amalekite to do it for him. No, I remember that part of the story. And I remember Saul, but I never... Maybe it's possible that I read a version of the Bible that this didn't exist in. It's almost kind of blink or you miss it. And I think that a lot of the later translations of the Bible downplay her role quite a bit. I mean, it is a really interesting role. I mean, it's still kind of like the crone stereotype or like archetype of a woman, like the the mystical crone. Right. 
But honestly, yeah. I'll take that over a doting wife any day. That's Please yeah. make me the mystical crone in this this story. And then the interesting thing is that even though Saul is an enemy to the witches, she comforts him in his distress and she insists on feeding him before he leaves. That's interesting. It, it kind of humanizes her, but I also but also kind of gives me vibes of just like being just another nicety, like an older grandmotherly type figure. But simultaneously, like it. I think that I probably would do that too. This guy is having a really rough time. He's going way out of his comfort zone. I like it because, yeah, that's that's where I tend to find people who give me comfort is people on the fringes of society who have been pushed out of the mainstream. It's true. Does he come out of it being more compassionate towards witches? Well, he dies, so... Oh, true. Well, I guess... So I don't know that he really gets the chance to have a big change of character before he dies. I think that everything in the Bible, because of the notoriety of the book and like the importance that it had to so many different cultures, everything serves a purpose. And as far as like this, even the small role of this witch feels pretty, pretty interesting and kind of powerful. Raising the dead just doesn't just happen. She summons the spirit of Samuel and the story never actually condemns her. The story, in fact, is more condemning Saul for his hypocrisy. I, I can't disagree with how that plays out, actually. like A lot of the times I, I do, like in the case of Samson and Delilah, how they, right. they shift blame and they do weird things with that. But in this case, yeah, it's definitely, this is, this is on Saul. Yeah, I think it's a neat little bit of representation. Like, she's just an honest witch trying to make a living. She she gets tricked by Saul, and he's like, I won't kill you, I promise I'll kill you. And then she's like, I mean, ultimately, you're a person in distress. This is my job. It also kind of makes me wonder, if someone told me, like, if I sought out, you know, my future, and then someone just, like, told me that, I was going to die. How would I take that? You know? It would also be like if, if uh, someone summoned the spirit of a dead relative and then the dead relative was like, hey, you're going to die. Yeah, true. And that's even more traumatic. Very traumatic. Samuel was mad. He's like, fucking let me be dead, okay? I'm done. I don't want to talk to you. You're going to die. Fuck you. This life bullshit. Want no- nothing to do with it. Yeah, no, he didn't come back to life. Like, he just was talking to the spirit of Samuel. Well, yeah, but like he still has to be in the non-ethereal plane. Who knows what he was doing in the afterlife? Probably something much more interesting. He's like in the middle of the rager. Right. There's a fair amount of media you see her in art and literature, whereas people like Delilah or um, Jezebel are really, really popularized and talked about a lot. The Witch of Endor is like, she's like an in reference, like only really cool people talk about her. Like the Martha Graham Dance Company did a production of The Witch of Endor. Um, Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem about it. And she's mentioned in a song called Lover, Lever, Taker, Believer by the band Greta Van Fleet. Even her references are kind of like subversive. Well, it seems like she's been a point of inspiration for a lot of alternative people being you know something not I guess expected inside of Mm -hmm. the bible I'm sure it struck people 
a different way when they read it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's refreshing to see that in this one particular story, Thal is the one who comes off as an asshole and no, there's no word of condemnation against her. The Bible has lots of other shitty things to say about witches, but in this particular instance, it was about Saul being a hypocrite. And also, she was just a generally nice human being to him. Not like the evil old woman that tends to be quite popular. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the old witch stereotypes in uh, folklore tend to be horrible monsters. I would say that Snow White is probably the the most clean cut representation of how like the old crone is is represented. Just like an old woman lusting after youth and hating women who are more beautiful than they are. And it does a neat trick of both like she's beautiful and vain, so you get to condemn her beauty and her vanity. And then she's also an ugly old crone, so you get to condemn women both for being beautiful and for being ugly that's true you you get two sides of the coin all in one can't win for losing since you had mentioned that there was a poem i did actually see it here i think it's probably old enough at this point that we can read it on the oh podcast oh my god are you gonna read it I'm yeah so i was thinking about it so i was reading some of the context for it was that rudyard kipling he wrote it after the death of his son and it's called endor And it's supposed to be about communication with the dead. I guess this is just the end of it. I didn't find the full version. But it's, Oh, the road to Endor is the oldest road and the craziest road of all. Straight it runs to the witch's abode as it did in the days of Saul. And nothing has changed of the sorrow in store for such as go down to the road to Endor. Which, when you read it, and given the context that his son had died, you could yeah. see how it's just about wanting to see the dead again and knowing that it's not going to bring you any comfort. The futility of trying to contact the dead and yeah, that it it's really only going to end up hurting you more. I like the Bible story. Oh, I forgot to mention there's another pool of thought where... It was a medieval interpretation where they just interpret right up. It wasn't even Samuel. It was a demon pretending to be Samuel. It's all evil and she's evil and goodbye. So the evil witch is comforting the evil demon. And (laughs) I'm just like, that's so silly. The evil witch summons an evil demon to pretend to be Samuel to tell Saul that he's going to die, but he's right. So, I mean, I don't know what's so evil about that. And then the evil witch feeds King Saul a nice meal because... Because she's so evil. (laughs) You know, it's interesting in the church that I was raised in, at least, uh, we actually did believe in witches and we believed they had power. So for our interpretation of the story, she's bad for being a witch, but Saul is worse for being a hypocrite and for seeking her out. In the particular church that I belonged to, they continue to believe that witches are out there actively trying to curse them. That's really interesting to me because that was definitely not the same perspective that the Mormon religion had. They didn't talk about witches at all. They didn't believe in the occult. All they all they believed in was like the typical, you know, Satan afterlife things, but but none of none of the occult stuff. 
Did they believe in demons in general or? Uh, yeah, actually I do. I do think they believed in demons, but not like necessarily manifestations of humans could summon them. Just that like demons or bad things could control someone's body. So a little bit of a possession scenario? Yeah, like evil was like a form of possession or like alcohol was a form of possession. Like people doing bad things. I think it, it kind of works as like an allegory for addiction because it does feel like something else is taking control of that person. But it's also crazy pants. Yeah. To be like you're an alcoholic because you have a demon in you. But Right. I, I don't know. I The way they would say it would be literal. But I think mm-hmm. that the intention maybe was for it to be more allegorical (laughs) we used to do a lot of things like we would pray release you from the spirit of addiction or the spirit of alcoholism or things like that what kind of language did they use around it i think one of the things that always kind of bugged me about the mormon religion is they never like really confronted these things on their face like it was always just like the assumption like that person over there they suffer with alcoholism or something but they they didn't really talk about personal things everyone sort of like suffered quietly and independently from you know the congregation like they were very much about like maintaining a certain appearance of things very presentational. Yeah, like they they pretended like everyone who went to church was, you know, perfectly good and didn't have any sort of addictions or scandals going on in the community and it was very much like this front of like the all-American religion where everyone is like just as nice as everyone believes, but really they're all just like screaming inside. That is different to mine because I feel like there was almost kind of a glee that they took in publicly disciplining people when they messed up. Like the first thing that would happen was you'd get sat down for ministry. And that came up when I was with my ex-husband because we had had sex before marriage. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get set down. If they find out, they'll sit us both down. So me and my ex-husband both played in bands and we played in the worship band we were involved in a lot of ministry so they wouldn't go and tell everyone hey kim had sex with this dude but they would sit us down and everybody would be like oh both kim and her boyfriend are suddenly not involved in ministry anymore my pastor in particular liked to use people that he knew who either went to churches he had pastored or went to the current church, he would use them as examples in the sermons. He wouldn't name names, but it's like, know who you're talking about. I don't know if I like that. (laughs) I don't like it at all. It was very mean-spirited. He did that to me. I got diagnosed with lupus when I was 12. And later on in my teenage years, he talked about in the sermon, somebody asked me what the spiritual causes of lupus were. And he said the spiritual causes of lupus were experiencing guilt and self-hatred over a sexual decision. Really? To a 12-year-old? Literally every single person in this church knows I have lupus. It was a big deal. Like, everybody in the fellowship knew I had lupus. They were praying for me. It was like a huge, big thing. I'm like, you know I have lupus. 
And you're telling the church that at 12 years old, I felt guilt and self-hatred over making a sexual decision. 12-year-olds can't make sexual decisions. That's so wrong. When you confide in someone, let's say like in the Catholic church, it's like this very personal one-on-one. It doesn't leave the like confession. Whereas this is they're just using it as fodder for their sermons. And inside of these small community, there's no way that you can tell that story without it being obvious who it is. Right. And I was sitting with my friends and I was like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a sexual thing. I'm whispering to my friends. I didn't do anything sexually when I was 12. Oh, geez. I would play in the church worship band before the sermon. And my friend that I would sit with ran the projector. So she'd like put the lyrics up on the screen for people to know what they were singing. And we would put our Bibles together to save our spots after the song service, we'd go sit down. So I off of song service, I go to sit down. My Bible is not where I left it. And my friend is not there and her Bible's not there. So I'm like, what, what happened? So I look around and I look behind me and I see that she's, for some reason, she's moved us to a different spot and she's taken my Bible so that it'll be there with her. So I stand up to go sit with her. And I did not realize at that time, the guy preaching, I think it was a visitor. He's like, this sermon is going to be about witches. So if you're a witch, stand up and leave right now. And I fucking stood up. Oh, wow. To go sit with my friend. As soon as I stood up, it caught up with me what he had actually just said. And so I fucking slammed down into my seat so fast. And I was so embarrassed. I just stayed there the whole service. What can we say? Foreshadowing. You know, after you mentioned the Witch of Endor, I was like, Endor, Endor, where have I heard that before? And then I was like, Star Wars? It is a Star yeah. Wars. So Endor is like a a planet in Where's Star the, Wars. The, the homeworld of the Ewok. Ewoks, yes. So I have no idea if that was intentional, if they were just like, that word sounds cool. But I was just like, I, I can't really see a connection. However, yeah, maybe I'll have to revisit that and see if there's possibly some sort of a... And I think Endor was a place, so theoretically they could be naming it after the place and not after that particular story. Ah, uh, true. That is interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So... Your church didn't believe in witches. Did you have a fascination with witches growing up? Well, of course, I grew up on Disney. You know, all the PG films that they let you watch. So, yeah, I I was pretty fascinated by fairy tales. And I would go out of my way to find every uh, Amy Brown book that had all the fairies in it. I would actually have to take all the pages out that had naked fairies in them or like cover up their nudity. <laughs> but other than that, my parents thought it was like fine and wholesome to like have like a little bit of fascination with like fantasy things. And of course, I loved Lord of the Rings. I don't know specifically that I liked witches. I was definitely more just like a general fantasy. Like I loved dress up and it wasn't until I got older that I was more interested in witches and I always loved like herbalism and like tea and like things like that things like that really interested me but I never really made a connection with like witches 
Well, when I was a little kid, I didn't make a connection either. But yeah, it was always, I was fascinated with plants, rocks, and crystals. And then growing up in the desert, whenever any kid we were playing with got a scrape or something, we would go to someone's yard and break off a stick of aloe. And then we would rub the aloe vera on our wounds. Yeah, no, I mean, I was definitely the kid that went out into the desert and then came back with pockets full of rocks and flowers. And like, I just like to collect those things. And I'd wanted to try and like press flowers when I was really young. Yeah, I loved I loved all that stuff. But then again, I just I loved the outdoors from a really young age. And then I still do. And I feel like I was able to kind of put it behind this veil of like, well, I'm just appreciating God's creation. So yeah, that was that was the way that we always framed it, too, is that we, you know, we're just appreciating God's creations. It's this big, beautiful world. And we love going out into nature and camping and stuff. There's a lot of stuff from my past that I look back on. I'm like, that was a witchy little thing that I would do. Lots of random little witchy things. And yeah, like you say, I didn't I didn't really make the connection until I was older. Yeah, I think it's just sort of finding a lifestyle that fits kind of your values. And Mm -hmm. the more and more I think about it, like that lifestyle definitely does fit my values more than keeping up with the Joneses or whatever the Mormons were all about. What if we keep all of the plants and the rock uh, and get rid of God? Get rid of all the judgment, focus on the good stuff, the positivity, the community. Yeah, I th- I could go for that. I do think that it's very comical how various traditions of Christianity have been like, no, she didn't actually have any power. It was all God. She was a fraud. It's very clearly not what the story is. Yeah, it's weird that they would try and frame it that way. But of course, you know, they don't want to give like an individual power. I'm trying to think if there was like an individual without God involved in the Bible that had a lot of power. And it wasn't just like God lending his power the way that he typically would in scripture. I could give you one. I would have to like look this up to get more specific about it. So when Moses came back, he performed wonders for the people, for the Pharaoh to demonstrate that like his God was real and serious. One of the things he did in specific was he cast down his staff and it became a serpent. And the Pharaoh commanded his magicians to do the same thing. And they were actually able to do it. Yeah, I do actually remember that. But then Moses' snake ate up all the others. Yeah, (laughs) that was always a very dramatic scene in my (laughs) mind of just like his staff gobbling up all the other snakes. The Bible doesn't really make the assertion that God is the only source of power or like the only powerful thing, just that the Israelites are not supposed to worship them. And also that their God is better. Which based on that, you know, I don't know. I just, I feel like that indicates that there are more gods. If it played it that way in the Bible, they always did like, oh, but there's only one true God. And maybe that's, maybe that's what they always meant is that there's only one true God and not that there's only one God. God specifically refers to himself as a jealous God. He gets mad if you go worship other gods. But the concept of the other gods having like some sort of tangible power in the world, that's the part that interests me. Oh, well, what if we did all just choose to praise a different God? Would that mean he didn't have? as much power 
Oh, he'd probably, like, set you on fire or something. Yeah, true. Or, like, flood the earth. Although he did promise he wouldn't do it again. No, he said next time he'll do it with fire. Oh, well, shoot. Global warming. Ah, good times. Good times. Maybe that's how we should start pitching it. We should be like, yeah, God said he's going to cleanse the world with fire. And that's what climate change is. Then they'll just be like, well, then it's supposed to happen. But I was like, we're being terrible stewards. What do we think that God is like our mom coming back from the store and we wait until the last minute to do our chores before she gets here? Right. Do you think God would be happy with how shitty we treat his creation? I mean, I would. I'm not. I'm actively not happy with the way that we're treating it. His creation or not. (laughs) Well, I think the problem is that in mindset, we're all gonna either die or get raptured and go to heaven. So it doesn't matter what we do to this earth. Yeah, that is the problem is that there's like this belief that you don't have accountability like it's always just like oh I'm forgiven and then I get raptured and then God takes us away into the happy place and we don't have to worry about like our physical forms anymore just like this concept that like you don't have to worry about the present and if you get like real heavy into the rapture which my church did 100% believe in the rapture there's like supposed to be a period of time on earth where Everybody who's left has to deal with like plagues and famine and war and all of these things, which those are not hard predictions to make. It's not like you're predicting something super niche that's going to happen. Like eventually, if you have a lot of people, there's going to be plagues and famine and war. That's just what happened. Seems to just be the cycle of things. Yeah, well, if you get too many of us in one place. Someone's bound to screw something up. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're dirty and we don't get along well. Hello, 2020, and then 2021. Plague days! Woo! If you want to believe that shit, whatever. Can't you just, like, recycle? Some of us think that this is the only Earth we're going to have. Yeah, some of us believe that this is the only time and the only Earth that we have. Maybe God would be mad at you for being so shitty to his Earth that he made in your stories. I would hope so. I hope that he does, like, get pretty angry. So... What kind of sin would we recommend this episode? Maybe do a little witchcraft. Maybe recite a small positive spell. Talk to the ancestors. Yeah, talk to the ancestors. Go get your tarot read. Those are all very good things. I like those. Whatever floats your boat. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the next Eden's Apple podcast. Bye. Bye.